0: Pastor June Oh. Thank you, Pastor. Love you, love you. All right. Um, Tonight, I want to talk to you about serving, the gift of service that Christ exemplified for us and allowed us to participate in. If you want to turn to John 13 with me, I would love to read three verses with you. John 13, verse 3, 4, and 5. John 13, 3, 4, and 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment where we can be recharged and refreshed by your Holy Spirit. Pray that the Spirit of God will move and flow into every home. And just like Jacob, when he realized, oh, I thought I was just sleeping here, and I noticed that there's a ladder next to me, and the heavenly hosts are coming up and down from heaven, ministering, and hence he says, this is the house of God, that every house that is listening, every house that is tuning in, that will all able to be able to notice that presence of God, the ladder, the portal to heaven that is open right there in our bedroom, in our kitchen, in our living room, in our basement, in our office, wherever we are, even in the car that we're driving in right now, that will be able to encounter God in this moment. Holy Spirit, help us and be glorified as we worship you with this word. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Serving is more than what it appears to be. When we get to serve and love our neighbor, it's not only the thing that we do in the physical. Something changes and shifts in in the things and places that we don't understand in the spiritual realm. And in the future, we're sowing something into the future. And we don't see it just like the seed that we're sowing. Service is not just something that we do to help our kids. Service is not something that we do to just help our neighbors as Grace loves does and we extend it's not only what appears in that moment there's so much more happening in the spiritual realm in places and spaces that we don't see and we don't understand and that's what's so beautiful about this gift of service because I know you and I we all serve here and there every day 24/7 if you got kids especially you're always serving and you sometimes wonder do they even understand do they even understand what they're getting, how much I love them and what this means and the heart that I'm, do they even comprehend? And the fact of the matter is that the gift of service, what it does is it doesn't even matter if they comprehend it or not. That's what's so beautiful. And we'll see that in this passage. But before we go into the passage, a short story. There's a man of God called Brother Lawrence. He lived in the 1700s. He lived in France and he wanted to, he was so poor that he just had to feed himself somehow. So his his choice of occupation was to join the army. Unfortunately, when he was 17, he got, he got injured. So, And that's where he met the Lord as well in the army. So he decided that, you know, I'm, I'm going to devote my life to Christ. And I don't know what I can do. I, I'm not educated enough to teach or lead or anything. So I'm just going to go to a monastery and just serve God and serve people. So he was assigned to two different things. Number one, fixing shoes in that little monastery and also doing kitchen works. So what he would do is two things. He would serve, and then he would always invite the presence of God whenever he would serve. And in that story, in the testimony of his life, there's a brief story, a testimony of others around him, and this is what it says, that when he would wash the dishes and when he would get on the floor and mop the floors of that kitchen, the presence of God would fall in that kitchen. Then all of the people around him, sometimes they have to bow down in the middle of the kitchen, and worship Jesus. As a pastor, I'm reading this story. I'm going, I'm trying to preach the word of God. We had an amazing worship, and people don't bow down. Nothing seems to happen. They're they're falling asleep. God, what's happening? There's power in service. There's power in inviting the presence of God in our service. It doesn't even matter if people recognize what you're doing or not. If you're doing it right, just like the master did, something shifts, hear me, in your home. Gift of service is not just something that we do for the sake of just being humble or because this needs to get done. No, there's power in it. Holy Spirit moves when we serve. So let's go to the passage today. Verse 1 starts, and the backdrop is this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to Depart, a key word here, if you're reading the Bible, circle the word. It's a time for him to depart out of this world to the Father and having love. This is the second key word, love his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Two things. He was about to depart and he loved till the end. So it wasn't like a departure. It wasn't like a goodbye where you're like, I'm so glad this is the end. I didn't like him anyway. It wasn't like that. He loved them so much till the end, yet he was departing. So that, that is the backdrop. That is the backdrop. He's about to depart, and he loves them. So he, wanna impart, he wants to impart to them something that is precious and something that is very important. So what does he do? Verse 4, he rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, he takes the form of a servant. He takes the lowest place on that table. Only the servants washed the feet. Because to, to to the Jews, it was something that was kind of detestable, sometimes even dirty, that you shouldn't do. You, you don't want to get yourself defiled in front of a meal. So you would not do so. Only the servants would do so. But Jesus saying, hmm, no one's gonna do it. It's gonna be me, and I'm gonna become an example. I'm going to become an example. In the next verse, verse 5, And he poured water into a basin and began to wash disciples' feet, to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. And I'm sure that dis- the disciples were perplexed, like, what's going on? We were just eating, and he's washing our feet? That tickles. That's weird. Verse 6, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, And don't you love Simon Peter? He always blurts out things, and he's not ready. To- he doesn't even know what he's saying. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? That's not even a question. Yes, he is washing your feet. Do you wash my feet? And this is what Jesus says, verse 7. Jesus answered him, what I am doing to you, what I am doing, you do not. Listen, understand now. But afterward, you will understand. And he's going to repeat himself in verse 12. It does not matter. It does not matter whether the disciples understood or comprehended the magnitude and the power and the meaning and the significance behind the service that jesus was doing it did not matter because the shift was happening and they're going to understand later because jesus is sewing, and that's the power of service sometimes we serve and we get frustrated you know why because we feel like do they even know does anyone know how hard i work Does anyone know how hard I'm working? I'm doing all the dishes and my roommates don't have a clue. They always leave out that dirty dish and I'm just washing them and no one seems to know. The fact of the matter is maybe you are shifting something in the spiritual without you knowing. It doesn't matter if they know or comprehend or understand. It does not matter. It does not matter sometimes even. It does not matter the fact that they don't know, that people don't know. The fact that you serve, you're bringing, hear me, kingdom, heaven on earth. Heaven comes through service. And Jesus knew this. He's like, I got to get them ready. I'm, I'm about to depart. I got to get them ready. I got to give them some, some last beautiful lessons that they really need to have. Not in their heads, but something they see as an example. Because as he, as he departs in that bodily form and the Holy Spirit comes, they won't be able to see this move. So Jesus is saying, let me show it to them. And this is something that he found to be very important. Hospitality, service. These are gifts in the ministry that we do within the church, within the family, and outside to the community that we do. And when we do it in faith, when we do it with the Holy Spirit, it is not only what happens through our service or hospitality. It is the spiritual realm. That joy starts to come, peace starts to come, love starts to come, and something gets ready for revival. Something gets ready for the move of the Holy Spirit. Something gets ready for Acts two, because the disciples saw, and now they're ready to serve. Again, when we serve, it is more than what we understand. It always something more than what we that always happens. It is always more than what we understand. Um, there's a chef, a Korean-American chef named David Chang. And maybe some of you have seen him on a Netflix show or maybe you've even eaten at his restaurants and he's famous for his ramens in New York and even in D.C. And, and I got to uh, hang, hang with his sister because she, she's a pastor. She used to be and we used to minister together and she invited us over so we're having dinner. And, and David Chang, past chef uh, David Chang's mother came over And um, she's a wonderful lady. She's a deacon at a church, and she loves Jesus. And um, she loves Jesus. And we're just kind of hanging around. And I'm like, man, she's David Chef Chef David Chang's mom. It's kind of cool. And she goes, you know, Pastor, you know something. I'm like, no, I would love to know something. And she goes, David, his cooking is not that good. He's not a good cook. And I'm going, "Mm, I beg to differ. I had his food. It was amazing. And James Beard Award and two Michelin stars, I, I think he's pretty amazing. I think he's out there and the amazing part. And she's like, no, 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 no. It, how he got there is, is actually the, the success that he has is so much more than what he's capable of. It's the grace of God. I'm like, wait, that start to make sense. She's trying to say it's the grace of God. Tell me more. And she goes, you know, um, David's grandma, This she was a woman of God, a wonderful lady. And this was back when, even back when the Korean War was still happening, and and revival happened in Pyongyang in North Korea. And when she was 16, she experienced that, when she was 14, she experienced that revival. She wasn't educated, but by the time, age of 16, she got married. And what she would do is, because she didn't have, even have electricity, every night she would have a candlelight and she would, she would love the word of God and read the word of God. And out of that, she saw, oh, this is how I can serve. This, I can, this is how I can love Jesus. Candlelight overnight. And she had eight kids and raised them with a man, as man and woman of God with the word of God. Eight kids. She wasn't educated but loved Jesus. And this is what she shared. David Tang's grandma, this is what she would do. She loved Jesus so much, she wanted to serve the church and the body of Christ and leaders of Christ. And though she wasn't that rich, every month she would cook a whole chicken for all the pastors in the region, the city that she was part of. And some days, her children didn't even have enough to eat, but she wanted to serve the pastors and leaders. Now, church, I'm not saying you should bring chicken for all the pastors. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just sharing about the heart. I mean, I do love a good chicken, but, but I'm not saying send them. I'm just saying the heart behind it, she wanted to serve. She wanted to do whatever she could. She said, I, I, I don't have much to give. I'm not educated, but he, here's what I can do. And she prayed. She devoted herself to prayer. And when, she, when God blessed her with some finances, she bought prayer houses here and there and started to build churches and plant churches by her influence in prayer. And then and, and David's mom, David did mom, this is what she said. David Chang, he's only reaping what they sowed. How do you think he got there? Why do you think God is so generous to my son and our family? Because someone sowed in service. He doesn't know. And I'm praying that he'll come back to Jesus. (laughs) By the way, I've asked David Chang, uh, Chef David Chang's sister and say, is it okay that I share the story with the church? And she says, yeah, absolutely. If that encourages the faith of the, of the church, absolutely. And I'm, I'm reading this story and going like, exactly. Because some you know, young people, i talk to them and say, you know, I don't know if you really love Jesus, but there's an anointing in your life. There's something that flows. There's a grace of God and God loves you. And I'm going like, I wonder why. And he goes, I don't know. But you know, did you know that... Um, my dad planted five churches with these pastors, and my dad, my grandparents, parents, they were really like devoted Christians. I'm like, oh, that explains a lot. There's been some sowing in your previous generation that you're not aware of, but now that you're reaping, again, I say, when we serve with the Holy Spirit, it is more than what it appears. You're sowing towards the future. You're sowing towards the kingdom. You're sowing towards your next generations. Oh, they might not be aware. They might not even fully comprehend, but the Father knows. He's going to remember. He knows your heart. He knows our heart, and he's going to reward it accordingly. I love this verse in, in, in Psalm 126. Six, he who goes out weeping. Yeah, sometimes when we're sowing and serving, sometimes it feels like we're about to weep. And that's okay, because part of it is just, that's just life. Bearing the seed uh, for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheep with him. Going back to verse 7, that's why Jesus says, but afterwards you will understand. And when he was done with the washing, verse 12, he repeats himself, do you understand part of the key word in this passage is understand that people don't have to understand even as i'm preaching there are people serving in this room that you don't see i'm looking into a camera and they're serving and they're worshiping jesus you didn't see them but when we're worshiping and when we're singing songs they had their hands up they're nodding they're dancing before god and they at the same time they're make, making sure the cameras are stable that's amazing, that's a talent. You don't see them because they're behind the camera. But they're sewing, And God is moving through them. And isn't that the truth about service? Isn't that the truth of what we do with grace loves? We don't know all the benefits and the fruits and the blessings that heaven has already released. But oh, it's gonna come. In this generation, yes. But for generations to come. Because isn't that... Who our Father is, God who blesses 2,000 generations. So much more than what we deserve. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. God who is generous. When we sow a seed of faith of a mustard seed, he's saying, I'm going to move a mountain through that mustard, the smallest mustard seed that you sowed. So why wouldn't we sow with that gift of service? Let's go one step deeper. Let's go to the root, maybe not not the root, but maybe even the essence of where this lands and what shifts within our soul and the world. And there there I say, the greatest service, hear me, is forgiveness. Service always goes with humility, and humility always results in forgiveness. Let's go to verse 8. Peter says, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And this is back to Peter saying, no, Jesus, you're too great. I am too little. You can't do this. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you you have no share with me. It's like, I've got nothing to do with you if you don't want me to wash your feet. And Simon Peter goes like, oh, no, 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 Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just just wash me, wash me, wash me. He's basically saying, baptize me all over again. You know, cleanse me. Let let me get saved all over. Pardon me when I say baptism here. Baptism of salvation here. And in verse 10, Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed do not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Here's the thing. The service that Jesus did was the cleansing of sin. Because isn't it true that, yes, you and I get saved and, and we're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we get imputed with the righteousness of Christ. But in our everyday life, and back then they were wearing sandals, right? Don't our feet get dirty? That we sin here and there in our thoughts and our thought patterns and what we do and what we say. And even when we serve, we get angry sometimes and we do it out of the wrong motivations, right? We get, we get dirt on our feet and Jesus comes and goes, let me wash it again. Let me wash it again. Let me wash it again. Yes, we get saved once, but we need to be washed over and over and over. We need forgiveness of God to, to be done in our lives, in our soul, over and over and over and over. That's what service is, is forgiveness. It's washing the disciples' feet because we're like that child that makes a big mess, goes, goes outside with a clean shirt and comes back with a white shirt and comes back with a brown shirt every, every, every day. And, and you're like, what's happening? Let me change you up. And that's, that's who we are. We make a mess all the time. And Christ is going, let me forgive you again. Let, let Fresh grace and that steadfast love that comes like the morning dew every morning. Let it be there for you every time. Because we need that every day and every time we fall. Cleansing. But here's the thing. Yeah, we receive that regular forgiveness. But the master says this. You do Likewise. Meaning as you live with your family and your loved ones and your friends and your coworkers, you will have to wash your feet regularly. You will have to forgive them regularly. Yeah, you're married to him. Yeah, you're married to her. But you will have to forgive her and him regularly. And that's what gift of service does. It is rather one and the same. They go together. Here's a phrase. As I was studying this passage, this is what I saw. When we enter deeper humility we enter wider forgiveness. When we enter wider forgiveness, we enter greater freedom. When we enter greater freedom, we serve more. And it's a cycle. And because we serve more, we enter deeper humility. And then we enter deeper humility and we have wider forgiveness. When we have wider forgiveness, we have greater freedom. And with a greater, greater freedom, we can serve more. And it's a pattern of sanctification and growth and freedom that comes. But part of this cycle is Forgiveness. Part of the cycle is forgiveness. And I think God is speaking to at least, at least few of you. The reason why forgiveness is so difficult is betrayal, isn't it? You've been betrayed. And that's what this passage is about, even in verse 10 at the end, but not every one of you is clean. It is Jesus is talking about Judas. And it was already mentioned in verse 2 and 3. He knew as he was washing Judas's feet that he was going to betray him, that his heart was already set on betraying him, yet he decided to wash his feet anyway. It is hard when you know that they want to betray you, and you sense it, and you feel it, you could almost touch it. You don't I don't want to serve him, I don't want to serve her. But God is saying, if you want to be like me, you will forgive. If you want to be like me, you will. Forgive. I had an exercise done um, with them, young people. they Saying, I, want to, be, I want, want to be strengthened in my inner man, inner woman. What can I do? So we went to Moses and talked about you know, three different voices that was happening in his head. One was the things that people said about him in the past. And one was what he was saying to himself. And you read that in Exodus 3. And finally, what God says to him, right? Three different voices. So this was the exercise. Go ahead and write down. Take five minutes and just brain dump. Write down the sentence that you say to yourself most often. Just write it out. Just five minutes of just writing down, brain dumping, what you say to yourself often. And the things that came out in that paper, it was mean, it wasn't nice, some mean things. But isn't that you and I? We say some mean things to ourselves all the time. And we're discouraged where we feel like, man, this is bad, and, you know, those memories in the past that you messed up and things that you said or did, it comes back to you and kind of haunts you. And, and you go like, oh, okay, that's not cool. I, I, cool. I don't want to think about that. And then some of them were going through it. And I was asking God, God, I'm going through that too. What do I do? What's happening? And, and, and God led me to Luke 6, 638. This is what it says. And we read this verse, hear me, in the context of finances a lot of times. But that's not the context. Give and it will be given to you. And remember, we're still in that theme of forgiveness. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For what the measure use it will be measured back to you. And we use it to finance this. But if you actually go to the verse before, it's the immediate context is really not finances. This is what it says. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Why is why are we thinking all those thoughts that are so mean, that are so judgmental and condemning, or unforgiving to ourselves? Hear me, family. It is because we judge others in silent places. It is because we condemn others in secret places. It is because we don't forgive. And how do we expect to run away from that standard that what God said right here? Judge not, and You will not be judged. In the secret places, we judge, and just because we didn't say it, we condemn, but just because we didn't share it on our social media, no one would know. No, the Father knows. And part of the torment that we're going through in our mind is maybe, hear me, maybe because we sinned before God. Maybe it is the unforgiveness. I know this is not easy. Maybe it is the judging. Maybe it is the condemning. And if you and I want to be free, then maybe we need to go back to the place of repentance God forgive me I've judged I've condemned I ought to accept and honor more people God forgive me maybe break that cycle maybe you and I opened that door to the temptation and moving of that evil spirit without knowing and we thought just because no one knows no one knows that's not true God knows what are you sowing in your thoughts what are you sowing as you look to the others? What are you sowing as you look to your neighbors? What are you sowing as you think about your co-workers? You want to be free? I want to be free. And sow forgiveness, that is the greatest and, hear me, most difficult service, but it's one and the same. There is no true deep service without forgiveness. And forgiveness always leads to humility, which always helps our forgiveness. I want to give one application, and I'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll go to baptism. If you are listening to today's message and and going, Pastor, I'd love to maybe apply that or, or live that out somehow. I want to encourage you to exercise, practice the spiritual discipline of service. And hear me. Spiritual disciplines are things that we do so that we could be more free. Yeah, reading the Bible and praying, all those are spiritual, that's something that we do, right? These are spiritual disciplines. But this is what Dallas Willard said, and I love what he said. If what you're exercising as a spiritual gift is not freeing you more, you should stop doing it. Because the role of spiritual discipline is to free you up, just like a cellist who practices so much in this, in her, his or her discipline that playing music flows out of her. You all going to be free, like, like, a, like a football player who's thrown that football so many times and run that play so many times that they don't even need to think twice, and it almost becomes intuitive. You want to be free, so you're not just thinking about, am I getting the ball right? Am I throwing? No, no, you don't have to think that much, but rather you're free to really live and be in that moment. That's who, what we want to be as Christians, that's who we want to be. So what does that spiritual discipline of service free us from? Pride. Pride. Without the spiritual gift of service, we will never be able to have true victory over pride. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says this. Have you worked on, have you tried, you know, worked yourself to make sure that you're, you're humble? What happens? You become humble. You're like, oh, I'm humble. And the moment you say, it, you, be, you have become arrogant. That's all of us. So it doesn't work that way. Then how, how do we practice it? You always go and exercise the gift that will help you to humility, and that is service. Service. Where is the best place to exercise that gift of service? At home. Don't you and I have places at our houses that needs to be cleaned up? That you're just hoping that your husband will clean it up someday when he finally gets around it after 20 years? Guilty. My garage, I'm Guilty. My wife is still waiting. I'm guilty. The dishes. Oh, that floor. Someone has to mop that off. Come on. You're walking and you're like, you're looking at your slippers like, why is it brown? That's what. because you've never mopped it. Someone needs to exercise the gift of service. You're saying, oh, God, I want humility. Great. God is saying, listen to God. Go home and serve. Exercise it. It won't just, you won't just get a pat. It's not about getting a pat on the back. It's about you being sanctified to forgive deeper, to love deeper, and and bring heaven on earth and create an environment of revival at your home. Come on, Mari Kondo your place. Do it. Live it out. Just do what no one else wants to do at your home. And this is between you and God. This is as significant as you studying that Bible for two hours. It's a spiritual discipline of service. I've been asking for humility because I need help in that area all the time. I bet you do as well. Go and exercise that gift of service. Um, I was mentoring a young praise leader. And, um I love worship, and God led me to lead worship here and there in different places and as a, you know, worship uh, ministry as well for, for quite some time. So I had a privilege to, and then he's saying, you know what? I serve every week, Pastor. But I feel like I'm still arrogant. My pride is just like, whenever they say, oh, the worship is so good, I get prideful, and I don't know what to do. And when it when it's bad, I feel so discouraged, and I don't know what to do, Pastor. What do I do with this arrogance that I have, this pride, this insecurity? And, you know, remember, pride always, it, it, it's, it's a double-edged between insecurity and pride. When you have insecurity, they always go back to pride, and pride always comes back to insecurity. So whenever God leads to a deeper ministry and in larger tent peg, we always feel insecure. Therefore, the temptation of pride comes in whenever there's insecurity however he was sitting there going i don't know what to do and i was sharing with him i hear you and the reason why you and i are tempted by pride is because you're really not serving when you're on stage it's because you're performing because when you serve every time you will enter humility so your heart is wrong because you're saying i serve a lot but i'm getting more prideful something is wrong in that equation you're not wearing the towel. You're pretending to not wear your outer garment, just like Jesus, but you're not putting on the towel. You gotta get down low and really from your heart before God, wash their feet. Worship leaders are meant to wash the congregation's feet. Pastors are washing the congregation's feet with the word of God. And when we do so, how can we become prideful? It's because we're not serving, we're performing, and I'm guilty. I've done that so many times. It's not even funny. I'm like, God, could you please wash my feet? I got them dirty again. Look at my shoes. And Jesus comes. I got you, son. I got you. I have a two group group of pastors that I I get to walk with, meaning in a greater body, every nation. And I got this Presbyterian pastor group that I'm part of. And there was a season in my life and. We had meetings, and these are pastors, right, people that I love, and these are brothers, so I get to be honest and open and be friends more than just ministers, right? And I would attend this group and this group, and I'd come back home, and I'd tell my wife, I don't know, something is just not sitting right. I don't know if I feel at home in any of these meetings. I was talking to God about it, and I'm just being vulnerable and and sharing my sin and brokenness and saying, God, I, I don't know what's happening. Is it me or is it just everyone around me that is wrong? And this is what God told me, June, is because you're not choosing the lowest place in the table. Because every meeting you go to, you're trying to look around and say, okay, what is, where's the cool spot? Where's the higher spot? I feel so ashamed saying this. But God does not give me shame. But that is my sin. And that's what I was trying to do deep inside. I didn't act that way but that's what I had in my heart. And that, therefore, I would be frustrated. I'll get like insecure about it. Wherever I go, I'm like antsy and go like, okay, where is it? I feel so insecure. And I heard God say, just find the lowest place. And did you know, even at the body of Christ, at your family as well, the lowest place in that table always have plenty of spaces. The highest place, very few spaces. That's why you and I are frustrated. Because we won't want to climb higher. We're like, There isn't enough space for us. This is not my church. There's no space or place for me. Maybe, maybe there I say, it's because you're prideful. There I say, maybe you and I are prideful. We're trying to find a higher place in that table. If we would choose the lowest place, there are plenty of seats out there. There are plenty of places to serve. There are plenty of places to be and feel secure and safe because it's the lowest place. And then at that same time, God showed me, I was, God showed me, look at your knees. I was like, okay, I'm looking at my knees. You know, when you get on your knees, hear me, son. That's where you rest. I'm like, no, no, I fight on my knees. It's like, God, no, I got you. God is saying, I got you, but don't fight me, son. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, I fighted you. And he goes, No, no, no. When you're lowest in your position, that's where you can rest. Because I'm gonna lead you to go up the stage and share and, and lead and all that good stuff, but I need you to rest, son. And how you rest, truly rest your soul, is to get on your knees, not to beg, but to rest. The lowest place on the table of the king. And then I realized, oh wow, even at home, even when I am with my closest friends that I'm most comfortable with, there was a sense of anxiety, and that was my pride. If I would choose the lowest place on that table... No anxiety because I'm safe, even with God, even with God. So wherever you are, I want to encourage you to exercise that gift of service. I want to close with one story. There is a um, lady in Kentucky, and she got married early in her early 20s, and she had kids, and by the time that she was 45, you know her kids, they were all grown up and went to college and she became an empty nester at. Mid 40s, and she's going. God, I don't know what to do, but I have this amazing heart to go and and serve Africa, and specifically for medical missions. But I don't have any degree. I didn't study, you know, you know, medical science or anything. I, I don't know, but I have this heart. I'm like God, and she was praying, like, is this my midlife crisis? And and God said, No, it's my calling. Go. So she packed up with her husband, and she went. And I think I forgot who she was part of, but it was, she was part of a medical mission uh, 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 and the team. And she went, and because she didn't have training, all she got to do was this: when kids got kids get scraped on their knees or something, they would walk into the tent, and she would sanitize it, put band-aids over them, and pray for them. That's what she would do. So she'd done it for about a year or so, and she's going, God, I don't know if I'm making any changes. God, I'm here for missions, but all I do is just put band-aids on people, on kids. I don't know what I'm doing. And at the same time, she hears this news about her son, who was in college. He got into an accident. He's not feeling very well, and her heart is broken. She's crying and she's weeping out. She's just she's weeping and she's just down. And there's this kid called Samuel. And this kid would come in almost every day to her tent because she would, he would be playing soccer and he would scrape his knees almost every day. And, and she would pray for him, pray for him, and put band aids over him. It was a beautiful relationship. And in that day, the same day, Samuel came inside. And, and she was sitting and she was just like, just downhearted. God, what am I doing? What am I doing? I gave up everything for this. My son is hurt. What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And she was just discouraged. And she put the band aids over Samuel. And Samuel goes, you're not going to pray for me today? And she goes, of course. So she bows her head, and she's trying to pray, and she can't hold back her tears. She starts to cry. So she's sitting there crying about five minutes, and and, then, and, 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 and and then she hears this crinkle of paper after five minutes. She opens her eyes. Here's Samuel trying to open the band-aid, and he puts it over her heart and says, here it is. Can I pray for you? In that moment, this is what God said to her. This is what you do to my heart. This is what you're doing to this people. She was serving. Yeah, she wasn't skilled to perform brain surgery. But she was serving. And it pleased Father's hearts and and church. Isn't that what we do? What we say, what we do for this world and the world poverty and the things in the injustice in this world. It looks like just band-aids that we're going like, God, let me fix this. Let's do this as a church. We're not even making a dent sometimes. But maybe we are making a dent in the realm and places and spaces that we don't see right now. Maybe we are shifting things in our family for our next generation and our children, in our nation, in our city, when we serve. Because the master said, I will serve you. Wash your feet. Do likewise. So family, let's go do likewise this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the perfect example that Christ was. We want to be more like you, Jesus, every day. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us to be more like you.